have needs and desires and seek to discover our own erotic journey, you've come to the right place. This is Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver, presented by SDC. In the next hour, we're here to answer your burning questions about relationships, sexuality, and health from the leading sex experts and professionals. Now, here is your host, Lexi Silver. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver. Are you curious about polyamory? Are you already in polyamorous relationships? Today, I'll be talking to Nolan Lawless, licensed professional counselor, sex educator, public speaker, and polyamory advocate. He's the owner of Mount Scott Counseling and Infinite Heart Coaching in Lawton, Oklahoma, which serve clients of diverse gender identities, sexual orientations, and relationship dynamics. He's going to share some helpful strategies for poly folks who are coping with breakups, conflict, jealousy, self-care, and time management. We're all kind of dealing with that, so maybe these strategies can apply to pretty much everybody here. We're also going to discuss some of the challenges that people in poly relationships might face when seeking clinical help with professionals who are not trained in treating clients in consensually non-monogamous relationships. Before we start our chat with Nolan, I just want to thank our sponsor, SDC.com, your and my expert source of exclusive information about sex, health, and relationships, where you'll get access to the world's largest international network and dating platform of over a million active members worldwide. Use my special promo code 7070 to get two months free at SDC.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. So, today's episode will be focused on polyamorous folks, and here to give us insight into the poly lifestyle is Nolan Lawless. He is the co-founder of Deconstructing Polyamory, through which he has presented to professional and community audiences across North America on alternative sexuality and alternative relationship models. Nolan serves as CEU Coordinator for Loving More a national nonprofit organization for polyamory and is a member of the APA Division 44 Task Force on Consensual Non-Monogamy. It's a mouthful, but that is just how qualified he is to have this talk with us today. So welcome to my show, Nolan. It is a pleasure to have you here. (laughs) Thank you. It's great to be here. It was really fun meeting you at um, Southwest Love Fest. I I attended your presentation with uh, Dr. Liz Powell, and it was very enlightening. And uh, yeah, I I definitely love that we made that connection because I think we're going to have a great talk today. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started. Tell me a little bit about how long you've been working with the consensually non-monogamous community. I've been working with the CNM polyamory community in a professional standpoint since 2012. So we're coming up on about seven years. Oh, wow. Okay. That's quite uh, a good amount of time. So you have a good amount of experience talking to people who are in polyamorous or other kinds of consensually non-monogamous relationships. Mm -hmm. So what drew you to wanting to work within the CNM community? I fell into it a little bit by accident. The agency that I was working with at the time was a very conservative agency in Western Oklahoma. So there were very few other clinicians at that agency who felt comfortable working with the quote-unquote unusual people. So (laughs) I realized very quickly that I could get a steady flow of clients coming in if I said, you know what, I'll work with whoever you don't want to work with. If you don't want to work with people who are in the trans community, if you don't want to work with people who are otherwise in the LGBTQ us community, if you don't want to work with non-monogamous folks, if you don't want to work with somebody who's an atheist, whatever it may be, send them to me, I'll work with them, I have no problem with that. 
And so I got a couple of clients who came in, one in particular who was non-monogamous, who was in a BDSM dynamic with her partner who had recently added a new partner and there was conflict that was happening there that was related both to their dumb-sub relationship and also to having some maybe not great ideas about how to interact with a non-monogamous relationship in an ethical way. So that was kind of where I got to start because I thought it was a fascinating client relationship. I had a lot of things that I had to go do research on and learn in order to make sure that I knew how to serve this person correctly. And once you put that time and effort into learning and growing in that direction, you want to keep using it. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That sounds like a very complex uh, first case. <laughs> it, it really was. And one of the interesting things that I've found, because as you attended my presentation with Dr. Powell, you're aware that one of the things we talk about is ethical considerations when working with non-monogamous clients. There are very, very few clinicians out there who really understand what it means to work within the consensual non-monogamy community. Mm-hmm. So, not only is it hard to have that kind of first experience with a client where they come in and they give you all of this information and you're kind of put back on your heels like, wow, I wasn't expecting to work with this client. You reach out to colleagues and you talk to them to get that kind of information because that's what you're taught to do. You're supposed to consult with your colleagues and consult with your supervisors. They don't know. They don't have the experience. They don't have the knowledge. So a big part of why I do the continuing education work that I do in the conference presentations that I do is to try to build up a greater awareness in the clinical community of exactly what it means to work with a consensually non-monogamous client. Hmm, interesting. And I think that the numbers of individuals who are uh, right now in or exploring the option of being in consensually non-monogamous relationships are increasing. So the need to have clinicians who are specially trained in those kinds of relationships are super, super important. What are some of the considerations or maybe some of the clinical needs that you, in your experience, um, have had with uh, CNM clients who that are maybe a bit different than what, you know, non-CNM clients might actually need or be seeking out from a clinician, if any. The biggest thing is to remember that clients who come into your practice are coming into your practice because they need help. And they probably need help with the same things that everybody else does, whether they're consensually non-monogamous or not. And there is a tendency a lot of times, especially with clinicians who aren't familiar with working with the CNM community, that as soon as they find out, oh, this client is non-monogamous, that's all they want to talk about. And they miss the fact that that isn't why they come into therapy. The vast majority of CNM clients that I've worked with are not coming in for specifically non-monogamy or polyamory-related issues. What I do find, though, is that their ability to have resources to support them is different than somebody who's monogamous. The way that they engage with the community as a whole is different. Some of the options that they have of how to problem solve and manage issues within their life is different. So understanding what resources are available to these clients because of being part of the consensual non-monogamous community as opposed to what a monogamous client in that same area might have access to is important. It's important to know, okay, so if this person is doing one thing and their partner is doing another thing, 
do they have another partner who can then be there to help out in another way? If they're struggling with finances, who all is contributing versus who all is needing to have income coming from this person? Lots and lots of different dynamics there. And it really is just about talking about them. It's about doing a really good assessment, a really good client history, and figuring out where they stand. So that's the starting point. And then the next one is if you're getting into working with these clients and there are issues that are directly related to the fact that they are non-monogamous, you need to make sure that you're competent in that area. You need to understand what they're talking about. I had a clinician that was working with me because as mental health professionals are supposed to do, I do my own therapy work. And when I first sat down with her, she had very little understanding of what was going on with consensual nominopathy. I had to explain a lot during that first session. I came back the next session and there was a copy of more than two sitting on her desk. <laughs> so whether I read it, she read it or not, but honestly, it didn't even matter. The point was that she made it very clear to me that she was going to put the effort into understanding and being competent. And that's an important thing to do with your clients in any way, and especially with a marginalized community like consensual non-monogamy. Make sure that you are communicating to them that you want to learn, that you're going to put the work in, that you're going to try to understand. That's so important because as, you know, as somebody who is already seeking help for any particular reason, the burden should not have to be on, on the client um, to be able to explain to their clinician um, about all the ins and outs of what it's like to be in a consensually non-monogamous relationship. It's already stressful enough to have to be um, it, talking to somebody to sit down and, and really like bear your soul to have to, in addition to that, explain all of the dynamics um, to somebody who has maybe never experienced a consensually non-monogamous relationship can cause a lot of stress for the person. Right. And they're there in your office because they're already experiencing stress in some area of their life that has brought them into services in the first place. Everything that you do as a clinician should be making it better. So on the other side of it, not only do you have to do the work to learn about what it means to be consensually non-monogamous, you also need to learn about their situation. And if it doesn't look like it does in the book, you have to correct your view to accommodate what they're doing. I have seen a few clinicians who want to argue with the client. No, the book says it's like this. It doesn't matter what the book says. What matters is what the person sitting in front of you says. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, there's no real one right way to do any kind of relationship. And especially when you're adding complexity and other partners to the mix, uh, there, there's, I mean, I, I would think there's probably no one book or group of books that can define every single possible instance of CNM or, you know, poly relationships. Absolutely. And this is something that doesn't just apply, apply to clinician client relationships. It applies to every relationship. Because a lot of times we talk about, hey, I'm polyamorous, you're polyamorous. That must mean that we think about things the same way. And it absolutely does not. There is no Oxford Standard Dictionary of polyamory, which means <laughs> all of these terms are getting defined and redefined minute by minute, year by year, and person by person. So when somebody says, hey, I practice relationship anarchy, great. What does that mean to you? You can't assume that the definition that's written on a website is the definition that this person sitting across from you is using. 
That's a very important point. I myself, on a personal note, find it sometimes difficult to categorize myself and my own CNM relationship in any particular category because sometimes it falls more into one and sometimes it falls more into another. And to have to be kind of um, uh, forced to, uh, I guess, identify as any one particular uh, type of relationship or any one kind of label, it doesn't necessarily work for me. What other people might consider, for example, to be uh, an open uh, relationship or a swinger or, uh, or or poly is not necessarily how I see it either. So I know that I'm definitely not alone in that. <laughs> and it's a very important distinguishing point for sure. Right. And there's overlap between all of those things. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, we're polyamorous. We're not swingers. Okay. There are people who are polyamorous and swingers. You can do both. Yeah. You can neither. Like these things have points of overlap and points of difference. And if you don't take the time to dig into what that person is actually looking for, then you're doing them and yourself and any potential relationship with them at this service. Oh, that's such a good point. And I want to talk a little bit more about that right when we get back. And we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the extra challenges that folks who are in polyamorous relationships might experience when it comes to taking some time for themselves. So don't go away. You're listening to Seek, Discover, Create. Are you looking for new ways to spice up your sex life? Do you want to learn more about relationships, sex, and health? At scc.com, you'll get unlimited access to exclusive videos, podcasts, and articles from top experts around the world. Come connect with like-minded people and explore our SDC events, parties, and travel destinations. Join over 1 million active members worldwide to seek, discover, and create with us today. Visit scc.com or download our free app on Google Play or on the App Store. Use promo code 7070 to get two months free at SDC. You're listening to the Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with lube light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. are tuned in to seek discover create with lexi silver if you have a question or comment about the show we'd love to hear from you via email to lexi at sdc.com that's l-e-x-i at sdc.com now back to this week's discussion Welcome back to Seek, Discover, Create. I'm Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Nolan Lawless, and we are talking about polyamory. And within polyamory, as we were just discussing, there are so many different ways that you can do polyamory that is that could be different from one, one person who is doing polyamory and another. So what our definitions are of any particular kind of relationship might differ from person to person, and that's something that's very important to recognize. What's also important is personality differences. And I think across the board, there are some folks like myself, for example, who are not so great at doing things like self-care and taking time out from our busy schedules to focus on ourselves. Um, so my question to you is, is, you know, whether you're, you're single or in any kind of relationship, is it extra challenging for people who are polyamorous to find the time or make the time rather for self-care? 
Oh, self-care. <laughs> so let me tell you a little story about me and my struggles with self-care. I presented at five conferences over a 10-week period at the beginning of this year. Oh, my God. I, I way overcommitted myself. I had some opportunities that came up that I couldn't say no to, and it was a wonderful experience, but I was white. So when I got back from the Rocky Mountain Poly Living Conference in April, I took a week, I told all of my partners, I told everybody that unless I was actually doing client work, I was going to be sitting at the house by myself. That's all I did. I sat in my backyard in the hot tub with my dogs for the majority of a week. And it was amazing. It's amazing how much different the world looks to you after you do something like that. But it is really hard to have that time. And I was very lucky that I have partners who understood what I had put myself through over that period of time, and they were very respectful of that need for self-care. I can imagine if I had had partners who were going to be a little bit pushier about needing my time, that might have been very difficult. Is in those moments, not only is it hard for you to actually choose to engage in self-care when your partners are constantly pushing for time, even if you choose not to, you then have a stress that comes on. There's a guilt that comes in our society for putting our own needs and our own self-care above those of somebody else at the moment. Okay. Something that I use as a philosophy in polyamory is that no person's wants should ever be put above another person's needs, period, flat out. It doesn't matter where they are in your relationship structure. If there is a want and a need, the need always wins. And self-care is a need, is a personal need. And if you don't recognize the importance of that, and you don't make sure that your partners recognize the importance of that, then you end up falling behind. So, yes, it can be a challenge. It's always a challenge because there's all kinds of different time constraints that exist within polyamory. But if you model good behavior when it comes to self-care, your partners eventually will start engaging in their own self-care, and then everyone does better. Huh. Okay. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I mean, that's something we can apply to pretty much any relationship. Um, but I think it's especially important because from what I hear from people who do poly is, uh, what did uh, Dr. Eli Chef tell me? Uh, something about Google Calendar basically being the be all end all. <laughs> <laughs> to most poly relationships. So try putting in maybe a slot for yourself in there somewhere um, so that you're taking the time to actually do that. And maybe your partners will follow suit. They can have access to you. Maybe they'll take time for themselves as well. Yeah. And that is a great thing to try to do is if you have the opportunity to schedule a self-care day the same way that you would schedule a date, make that a priority for yourself. It's important. And that's something that people should do whether they're in a monogamous relationship or not. So if you, you know, you mentioned something good, uh, very interesting before. So you said in uh, your case, when you really had that need for, for self-care, um, your partners were very understanding and very uh, aware of the fact that you had this need and were very happy to give you the space that you needed in order to take that time. Um, and, and sometimes it's harder because sometimes we have partners who are maybe a bit more demanding of our time or they have their own uh, needs as well um, that they need you or they have that relational need where they want to spend time with you. Um, how can somebody manage that if they have, yes, obviously, you know, we have that desire uh, or sorry, we have that need 
force our own self-care, but we also have that need to uh, make sure our partner's okay or feel guilty leaving our partner to their own devices when they obviously need us. What would you suggest? So I'm going to plug the next thing that I'm working on. I actually have a project I'm developing right now with Jessica Firm that we're calling polyunsaturated, where we <laughs> take the idea of polysaturation and break it down under the idea that if you take ownership of your own time and you set appropriate relational boundaries, then polysaturation, the way that we normally think about it, where you get overwhelmed by partners, you don't have enough time or space to add another partner, stops being so much of an issue. Is There is this tendency in our society in general to try to place other people's needs above our own, that if somebody says, hey, I need you right now, that we're supposed to drop everything and run to them at that moment. It's constantly putting out fires, and it does two things. First, it burns us out. Yeah. And the second one is that it lets people confuse the idea of intimacy and the idea of urgency. So you get people who they don't feel like they're enough of a priority in your life, so what they do is they create crisis because they know you'll come running in a crisis because if you don't come running, they can make you feel guilty, and then the next time you'll come running in a crisis. And it creates this incredibly unhealthy relationship model yeah. where if you go from the other direction, take more of a nonviolent communication model, for instance, where needs are expressed very clearly, very directly, and the person who you're expressing that need to has the ability to say yes, say no, or make adjustments or negotiate in that space. And all of a sudden, you don't have this problem. It really comes down to making sure that you and your partners have the ability to express their needs clearly and to say no if meeting your need in that moment is not within your ability. And that's one of the great advantages of non-monogamy versus monogamy. In monogamy, it's assumed that there is one other person in your life who has to be the one to meet these needs. And if they can't meet that need for you at that moment, then your need just isn't getting met. Hmm. In non-monogamy, you have other options. You have the ability to say, you know what, I really want to spend time with this person, but they're not really able to give me that time right now. If I need to spend time with someone right then, I don't have to push this person to a place that they can't go. I can see what the other options are. I can spend time with other partners, and I can come back to the one who I'm wanting to spend time with when they have the ability to meet that Hmm, that's very interesting. And it's true that the reliance on one other person in a, you know, traditionally monogamous relationship, um, it's, it also comes with not just having that one other person, but also our own internal boundaries and our own uh, expectations that there is that one person who is going to do everything for us. They will be our absolute everything, the be all end all to our relationship, basically. Yeah. Um, and we have to do everything for them as well. It encourages us to take that person, to take that relationship and burn down every boundary, break down every wall and say, I have to share everything with this person. Oh, it's a violation of the relationship to lock the door when I use the restroom because then that's putting up a boundary in this relationship. It's putting up a barrier to intimacy. No, that's not a barrier to intimacy that's a perfectly reasonable personal boundary. And if one partner wants to have a personal boundary that's don't touch my ice cream and another one doesn't, that's okay. Not everybody has to have the same boundaries. And most importantly, 
you don't have to have the same boundaries with every partner. There are things that are okay for one partner to do with me that another one, it's not okay for them to do. And that's okay. That's not about how much I love or care for each of those partners. It's about what I feel like is appropriate in each of those relationships I Thank you for mentioning that because I think that some people might have the mistaken belief that what goes with one partner has to be the same across the board in order to, quote, make people feel loved or valued or that they're all pretty much cared for in the same way. Dr. Liz Powell, that was one of my co-presenters earlier, and Kevin Patterson, who's one of my all-time favorite polyamory bloggers, did a video together about what it means to be special in non-monogamous relationships. And it's a wonderful video that really breaks down that concept of specialness and how being important, being special, and being unique always get confused but are absolutely three different concepts. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to have to watch that and we're going to plug it when we promote this podcast. (laughs) I respect their work very much. So I think that would be very helpful, especially for our listeners. So, um, so you're a lot of the things that we're talking about. Also, I feel personally, um, you know, in terms of, uh, making like the, the connection between the amount of time you're spending with someone, um, and, and your value might have some things to do with personal feelings of insecurity, um, and feeling maybe that, um, for some people, um, that, if I'm not, you know, getting uh, your attention, that there's something wrong with me. And I feel like that sort of thing could also happen if your partner might be dating someone new or just dating someone and maybe you're not dating somebody and you're feeling kind of, you know, insecure right now. Then you have to share your attention. You're maybe feeling a bit jealous about the new relationship energy that your partner is having with someone else. What is maybe a way to um, manage those kinds of feelings in that scenario? First, stop and think about which of your needs are not being met. Because flat out, if you are experiencing those sorts of feelings, they're not anything that says that you're bad. It's not a bad thing to be jealous. Jealousy is an absolutely normal emotion to have in any context, including in non-monogamy. But jealousy is not in and of itself the bad guy. You don't go in and say, I need to fight this so nobody will ever feel jealousy. If I feel jealousy, something is wrong and we, we're going to change this by God. <laughs> what it is, is it's an indicator that there is an unmet need that is happening in your relationship that you are perceiving your partner or one of your partners or another person is meeting for someone else, but not for you. If that's the case, figure out what it is figure out what an appropriate pathway is to get that need met. Go back to that nonviolent communication model saying, hey, I have this unmet need. I would like to have this need met. Is there a way that we can meet this need within the context of this relationship that works well for both of us? If I'm jealous that my partner is doing something in particular with one of their other partners, I need to look at why. Is it because I want to do that thing with them? Is it because that's a special thing that the two of them are sharing and I feel like I don't have special things with that partner? Mm -hmm. Is it because doing that thing pulls time away from me and I don't feel like I'm getting enough time? Is it that that partner in particular makes me feel inadequate and I want to have something that they don't have? What, What is it? And there's an infinite number of reasons that that could be 
But it's important to identify which one it is, because if you're solving a problem that isn't the real problem, you haven't solved the problem. Mm. No, that's true. Now, looking within yourself and trying to figure out what are those needs that may not be getting met before you communicate to your partner that you're feeling a particular way. It's very hard when you're talking to your partner about something um, and, you know, you might not have it all worked out uh, for yourself first. So I think that's a good idea, maybe just to take some time and explore uh, what you might be feeling uh, so you can properly express that to your partner and communicate in that like you said, that nonviolent way in, in to express yourself um, so that your partner understands exactly how uh, they might be able to help you um, feel better about the situation. And to some extent, that's a monogamy hangover that <laughs> used to say, hey, I have a problem. You're my partner. It's your responsibility to make sure it's fixed. Fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. Mm-hmm never had to take the time to think about what that would mean, what it is exactly that we're having a problem with. Because in monogamy, it's perfectly reasonable to say, I'm uncomfortable with you talking to that person. Don't talk to them anymore. That's an absolutely unhealthy way of doing it, but that's also a very normalized way of doing things in monogamy. In non-monogamy, that is absolutely not okay. And really, in monogamy, it's not okay. It's just taking people much longer to learn that. <laughs> That's very, very true. Um, <laughs> I, I think that those those constructs of uh, traditional monogamy that we've seen in the media where, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I, I don't like that you're talking to that person, you know, delete them off your Facebook or something mm-hmm. seems to be a normal reaction. Um, but it's not normal or healthy to be doing that in any relationship. <laughs> so I'm glad you pointed that out. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about other potential um, conflicts or feelings that might occur in other polyamorous relationships, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Seek, Discover, Create. Welcome to my playground. Are you ready to explore your lexuality? Visit my site to get my latest podcasts, erotic stories, and the hottest sex toys. Use promo code LexiSDC to get 15% off anything you want in my shop. That's L-E-X-I-S-D-C. So don't be shy. Come get lost in my erotic playground at LexiSilver.com. And come find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as LexiSilver. That's Lexi with an I, Silver with a Y. Until then, stay lectual, my friends. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe.
You are tuned in to Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver. If you have a question or comment about the show, we'd love to hear from you via email to Lexi at SDC.com. That's L-E-X-I at SDC.com. Now back to this week's discussion. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Nolan Lawless, and we are talking about polyamory. And right before the break, we were talking about things that could potentially happen uh, when you're a little bit jealous or feeling a bit insecure of your partner if they're dating someone uh, that you're not, and also how to um, enforce your boundaries with your partners when you do have that need for self-care. And those can sometimes cause um, some potential conflicts in relationships relationships, any relationships. Um, And I'm curious, in your experience, what kinds of conflicts could potentially occur in polyamory? I mean, <laughs> any, there are so many potential conflicts that could happen in any relationship, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear your perspective. <laughs> well, the biggest one is communication. It's always communication. And the biggest communication problem is that there's an assumption that one person using a word and another person using a word mean the same thing. Mm. That is probably the number one thing that I see problems, not only with my clients, not only in the community, but also in my own relationships that I'll say a word and one of my partners will hear that word and believe that they understand it because they know what that word means to them. And I know what that word means to me. And if we haven't communicated adequately about what they mean to each other, we both walk away thinking we know what happened and both having very different ideas about it. Hmm. And that is one of the hardest things to get used to in any relationship. And it's especially true in non-monogamy because like I said before, there is no standard dictionary of non-monogamy. We're making these words up as we go. There is a new term and a new concept all the time. What relationship anarchy meant before doesn't necessarily mean what it means now. Megasexual, that's a brand new word this year. And every once in a while, I'll see somebody kind of out in the wild using it. And I'm like, I remember when that word was made. <laughs> and it's a weird thing because when you get on kind of the cutting edge of these things, especially if you're part of the conference circuit and you're out there meeting all of these educators and community leaders who are coming up with these concepts, you're always trying to correct and update and manage your terminology, and if you run into somebody whose terminology is even a little bit different or a little bit different perspective than what yours is, you think you're talking about the same thing, and you're absolutely not. Hmm. So that is probably the biggest source of conflict. Now, what the underlying conflicts are, how they come out, are all kinds of other things. You're talking about time management. You're talking about jealousy. You're talking about how much relationship somebody's going to have with their metamors. You're talking about how you manage childcare. You're talking about in-laws. You're talking about when you come out. You're talking about finances, all of these things like you would in any other relationship. But the underlying issue there is almost always communication. And it's almost always that two people walked away from a conversation or more than two people walked away from a conversation, believing that they all understood the same thing. And in reality, they get, they made it. <laughs> not even been having the same conversation and they don't know it until they come later to try to get it resolved. 
Oh, wow. So communication techniques, there are, there are lots of them. Uh, some people choose not to use any of them, um, which is kind of problematic. But when you are in a, a polyamorous or non-monogamous relationship and you are trying to communicate to your partner, uh, and like, for example, if let's say you're not getting along uh, with uh, your, your, uh, your metamorph, so your partner's partner um, in this case, is it reasonable to ask one of them, um, to ask your partner, sorry, uh, to stop seeing their other partner, for example? Like, how would you even, is that even an acceptable thing to, to broach with your partner? So here's where it gets a little complicated because there are what I believe are best practices to have a healthy, non-monogamous relationship. Every relationship is different. Every relationship dynamic is different. And what is or is not acceptable in one relationship dynamic may be different from another one. As long as you're not talking about something that's actually an abusive behavior, there is a wide range of things. So I can talk to you from my perspective, but I want to make it clear that I'm speaking for me. I'm not speaking for anybody else. Hmm. In my relationships... We have it as an established thing that we don't get veto power over another relationship. And there's lots of reasons for that. The biggest one for me and my partners is that as you're building a relationship with another person, it's not just you who's being affected by it. It's them who's being affected by it. And if my wife didn't like one of my other partners, for instance, and wanted me to end that relationship, that isn't just affecting my relationship. That's affecting that other person. They're a human being. It's not a video game that you can pause or turn off. It doesn't work like that. If you ask somebody even, hey, I think we need to take a break for a while, depending on exactly what that means, that can have a devastating effect effect on that other person's life, on their self-esteem, on their self-concept, on their perception of their own worth, on their other relationships. It's this massive cascading effect. And in addition to that, you also have the idea of autonomy, especially autonomy over our own bodies and our own abilities to decide where we are, what we're doing, and who we're doing it with. It's okay to set up a personal boundary, but personal boundaries have to be about your person. Like It's perfectly okay for me to say to one of my partners, hey, I know that you're having a relationship with this other person who I know is not taking care of themselves the way that they need to, who I know is creating all of these other problems. And I am going to do things to insulate myself from the problems that they may cause. It's not up to you to decide whether or not I want to do those things because those are my boundaries. And it's not up for me to decide whether or not they want to continue having a relationship with this other person because that's their boundary. My rights end where theirs begin, their rights end where mine begin, flat out. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And, uh, you know, you're, you're right about every relationship being different, every individual being different as well. Uh, what one relationship means to somebody might be different than what you perceive it be meaning to them. So if, for example, and I mean, uh, when I was having a, a talk with uh, Dr. Eli Sheff about, you know, uh, one of the potential conflicts in polyamory, uh, she mentioned metamorphs. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm curious. If you recognize that your partner is, oh, you know, this is a, an important relationship to them. This is their, this metamorph is there to stay, whether you're living all together or not. Um, what is a good way to cope with some of those feelings? Is maybe communicating directly with the metamorph about some of those issues uh, potentially a good thing or could that actually 
actually have uh, more consequences? Oh, that depends a whole lot on who the metamor is, on who you are, and what you mean by the word communicate. <laughs> effective communication, where everyone understands what's being talked about and can deal with apples-to-apples kind of issues, yeah, communication is absolutely the solution to it. If you have people who are misunderstanding, that can create more problems. The worst thing that you can do is to play telephone. <laughs> in the middle of conflicts between your metamors passing messages back and forth, that is the worst possible way to manage it. You absolutely don't want to do that. Well, that sounds like the, uh, the anti-communication uh, when it comes to, to playing telephone. <laughs> and yet, a lot of times, that's the default. That's what people go to because they want to avoid conflict. Our conflict avoidance is so high in comparison to our need to resolve things, a lot of times we'll do things that are very destructive means that don't resolve anything just to avoid having to have a direct conflict or confrontation with another person. So, you know, in that same kind of vein, things happen obviously within any polycule where maybe one, uh, one person breaks up with another. Uh, maybe it's extra complicated because that person might still be living with them. Breakups are complicated in general. What are maybe some strategies uh, that you can recommend for coping with a breakup, whether it's yourself or someone else um, that w- within your polycule who is experiencing um, a loss? If possible, to be able to end relationships more through a conscious uncoupling than a big disastrous blow-up, that's a really good idea if you can do that. I know that that's a lot to ask sometimes, especially if there's a content or conflict there that's not easily resolved, but it's still ideally where you want to get to. And if you can't quite get there, then the next best thing is to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to look at my life and my needs and the things that I need going forward and figure out how to accommodate that. It's important to think about yourself. It's important to think about what it is that you need. And that doesn't mean to disregard other people. But the reality of it is that it is extremely unlikely, especially in those kind of situations, that anybody else is going to be thinking about your needs first. You need to know what your needs are. That doesn't mean to go run over other people to get your needs met, but you need to be considering what you need in that moment. If it's your relationship that's ending, you need to know what that means to you. You need to know what that entails. What needs do you have? Do you need to not be around that person and to make accommodations to have that space? Do you need to sit down with them and get closure? Do you have things like children, pets, household finances that need to be managed and dealt with about how you're going to do that uncoupling? What does that mean? Because not every relationship should end with everybody sitting down having a big conversation and not every relationship should end with people taking off to Europe for a month. But under some circumstances, each of those might be a perfectly valid way of doing it. If it's not your relationship that's ending, if it's a relationship between one of your partners and one of your metas that's ending, you still have to start with yourself first. You have to say, okay, what am I capable of doing here? What does my relationship look like with my meta? Am I going to continue to want to have contact with them after this relationship ends? What am I able to do to be there for my partner? What are my limits about what I can provide? 
then when you know what you can give, then you go to your partner and say, I want you to know that I want to be there for you. I know what I can do. What do you need from me that I'm capable of giving? Hmm. The more honest and open you can be about that at the beginning, the less conflict you'll have. Well, that's, uh, I mean, th- those are tough scenarios, no matter which way you play it, breakups are rough, but yeah, I mean, I like, again, you know, some of these uh, common themes that we've been talking about in almost every single question that I've asked you is looking to yourself first and asking yourself those questions. What is it that you need? Not what do you want, but what do you need? Do you need that space? But I think that's extremely hard too with, you know, when, again, we are also, always, always conditioned to think of our partners and how our partners are going to feel. And, you know, if it's especially like a living situation or it's a long-term relationship that has ended, um, there's so many more, uh, there's a lot more riding on it. There's a lot more consequences to the breakup. Um, So, I mean, how can you manage that (laughs) with your other partners? And, and, And trying to remember that it's your responsibility to take care of yourself first. Well, just to be clear, a lot of the things that we're talking about here are very aspirational. Like, these yeah. are the things that we are trying to do. These are the standards <laughs> that we're trying to live up to. And in reality, it's not going to always be like that. Like, there are going to be days when you're trying to do all of these wonderful things and be very zen about it, and instead you're going to skip out on work, sit in a corner, cry yourself to sleep as you're eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's. I mean, like, that's reality. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. That's okay, and we need to give ourselves that grace and give our partners that grace and give our medics that grace to say, you know what, this is going to be hard. You are going to have real, you're going to have emotional responses to these things. And when you do, you say, okay, I'm going to accept that. I'm going to engage in that, and then I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to move on past it. It's kind of like having a craving for food. If you want a piece of cheesecake, it doesn't matter how many other things you eat, you're still going to want that piece of cheesecake. And you're probably going to eat a whole bunch of other stuff in the meantime. Now, when you sit down to eat a piece of cheesecake, you eat your piece of cheesecake, you don't eat the whole cheesecake. You satisfy that craving, you satisfy that need, and then you move on. You don't sit in it and indulge it forever. Mm -hmm. So that's the best thing that you can do in those situations is when it's hard, when you're having those emotional days, when you're having those emotional moments, when you're not your best self, do your best in that moment. And your best in that moment may be crying into a pint of Ben and Jerry's. I mean, like that's the reality. That may be the best you can do right then. But when your best becomes better than that, it is your responsibility to get out of that. If you feel like that all the way until you get to sleep and you wake up the next morning and you can do even a little bit better, don't go sit in that corner with another pint of Ben and Jerry's. It's time to get up, get yourself cleaned up, get out of the house and try to move on. Whatever it is that you need to do. And you have to give yourself that grace and you have to give that to anybody who's going through that struggle, whether it be a partner, whether it's a meta, whether it's a family member, whether it's a client in my case, whether it's somebody in the community, a coworker, whoever it is, you can only do what your best is at that moment, and your best changes moment to moment, day to day. So do the best you can right then, and if your best tomorrow is better than today, then do better tomorrow than you did today. That's fantastic advice. I think we can all learn a lot from that, for sure. Giving ourselves that space and, like you said, that grace. It's a process. You've got to give yourself that space. And, yeah. and when you're having a day that you can have those conversations with an ex-partner, have the conversations. If today isn't the day that you can sit there and have 
that kind of peaceful, productive conversation, maybe today is not the day to have that conversation. Yeah. And you don't have to force yourself to do it either. It's perfectly acceptable to give yourself that space to wait until you're ready. Exactly. What do you need in that moment? If you need space, then you need space. Hmm. Good point. And we're going to hear lots more good advice from Nolan right when we get back. So don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. You're here with Seek, Discover, Create. Craving more from your sexy lifestyle? Search our businesses, services, blogs, articles, and videos. And keep in touch with us by subscribing to our newsletter. All on thesexylifestyle.com. The Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network is where you can build a new vocabulary to talk about sex in a healthy, loving, and productive way. Discover more about yourself and your relationships from our amazing sex experts who can't wait to share their information with you. You'll learn everything you ever wanted to know about sex, sexuality, sexual pleasure, and so much more on the Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. Listen, learn, and live sexy. are tuned in to seek discover create with lexi silver if you have a question or comment about the show we'd love to hear from you via email to lexi at sdc.com that's l-e-x-i at sdc.com now back to this week's discussion Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Nolan Lawless, and we are talking about polyamory. And it's been a little heavy. We've been talking about things like breakups and conflicts and how to manage all of those things, which are, I mean, it's a, pretty much a struggle in any kind of relationship, but it could be a little bit more complex when you do talk about having multiple partners. So... There are some people who are listening today who are kind of venturing into poly for the first time um, or people who are making the transition from other forms of consensually non-monogamous relationships to poly. And I mean, everything, every kind of relationship has its own unique struggles, of course, but maybe um, there might be a few tidbits of advice you might want to offer to some people who are just getting started in poly. You're first thinking about opening a relationship. And I'm hoping that maybe you're seeking out podcasts like this to get information before you open. If that's what you're doing, number one, do a lot of research. Keep doing what you're doing already. Second one is get used to the idea of your partner having things that are going on that are not yours. Get used to the idea that they're going to have activities, that they're going to have friends, that they're going to have a life that doesn't necessarily include you. They're going to go out at times that you're at home by yourself. One of the hardest things for most people to deal with when they are going from a monogamous close relationship into an open one, especially into one that's a structure like polyamory as opposed to swinging where there's a lot of emotion involved with it, is the idea that you're no longer the default. The default is not for them to be sitting at home with you at any moment that they are not specifically at work or asleep. In non-monogamy, your partners are going to come and go as they see fit. They have the same rights to self-determination that you do, and you can do the same thing. 
So a great piece of advice, I can't remember who originated it originally or I could plug it here, but a great piece of advice is before you open your relationship, get used to going out and doing things on your own and get used to being at home by yourself when your partner goes out and does things on their own. doesn't matter what it is. It's just the idea of getting used to that idea that you are not fully connected to each other. The great quote is polyamory doesn't mean that I own you less as a partner. It means I don't own you at all. <laughs> if you can embrace that concept, then you've made some progress. Now, if you have done what most people, including myself, did and dive into trying to open the relationship before you have done this work, don't panic. It's okay. <laughs> most of us survive that anyway. <laughs> But you have to accept that that work still needs to be done. And you now have to do that work in the context of already having more relationships. You have to do that work in the context of already having a lot of emotions involved and a lot of investment in what's going on. The biggest piece of advice that I can possibly provide to somebody who is new and wanting to figure things out is your instinct is going to be, if things aren't going easily, that you want to close the relationship back. Don't do that. That is a terrible, 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 terrible thing to do. Number one, you end up avoiding actually having to confront the real difficulties of what it means to be non-monogamous in a primarily monogamous world. You're going to have to deal with these things eventually, so deal with them now. Second one is, if you close a relationship every time you have problems, you are doing a major disservice to every one of your partners and metas other than your quote-unquote primary relationship. If you do that, you are treating them as less than equal. That's a terrible habit to get into. Don't do it. If you have decided this is the direction that you are going to go to explore this relationship, stay with it. Stick with it. Give it the time. Make sure that you are actually giving due consideration to yourself, to your partner, and to any other partners and metas that you have up until this point while you are going back and doing that work of doing the research and going back and doing the work of getting used to being alive. Very, very important. Do not give up on that. Do not let your partners or your metas get left in the dust. That is not okay. That's a very good point. And for people who are just venturing into some form of non-monogamy or are interested in poly, if you even have that idea in your mind that if it doesn't work out, you can go back to the way things were, there is no such thing. Going from a monogamous relationship, especially, and opening up that idea that um, you don't own your partner, that concept of ownership that for whatever reason is very ingrained in the traditional concept of monogamy. They're mine. They're my one, uh, you know, like we, we've been saying a lot, you know, they're my default. You know, if you're not going out, you're going to hang out with them. Um, that idea of ownership is not really going to work, especially once you've opened up your relationship and your partner has experienced potentially an, that openness, that kind of freedom to be able to express themselves with whoever they, they, they choose. Uh, going back to a closed model is not going to work for you and it probably will not work for your partner either. This is especially hard when you have a mixed type relationship where one person views polyamory or non-monogamy as an orientation and the other one views it as a choice. Because the person who feels that 
they have that flexibility to either be mono or poly or somewhere in between and they're perfectly fine with it. Closing seems like it might be a viable option, but to somebody who they view that as an orientation, it's like a coming out process. You're never going to be able to put that back into the closet, so to speak, without doing severe damage to that person's identity, without doing severe damage to your relationship with that person, and without doing severe damage to every other relationship that that person has in their life. And a lot of times we forget that closing a relationship, once it's been open, does damage to that relationship. Not just the damage to all the other ones, not just the intrapersonal damage, but it literally does damage to every kind of relationship that exists, including that quote-unquote primary one. And I'm going to keep saying that in quotes because I hate the word primary. Yeah. Again, I'm not going to disparage other people's relationship choices. That is a model that absolutely does not work for me, but that is a whole different conversation. I could do an entire hour podcast over exactly <laughs> what that means. Part two. Um, but no, you're, you're right. And I think um, I, I was sitting in uh, during Southwest Love Fest on uh, Jessica Fern's lecture about that, mm-hmm. where exactly. she's talking about uh, Polly's uh, lifestyle and Polly's orientation. And um, it really for, it resonated with me a lot because I do notice sometimes couples who are kind of mismatched in that, um, in that one partner know that it feels like it is a coming out party. Oh my God, I've been like this my whole life. Finally, I get to express myself this way. And sometimes their partner is not quite on the same page they want to experiment with it but they don't necessarily and I say experiment mildly because you can't really experiment uh, with non-monogamy um it you know they're really kind of at a disconnect as to what it is that they are hoping to achieve or what they're seeking from this experience Uh, so already having not had that communication with each other about what their expectations are going in can also be very very problematic uh, for what they're hoping to get out of um, their you know opening up their relationship I think it does come back to that whole communication thing we were talking about before. And I mean, that pretty much I talk about every single episode that you need to communicate with your partner uh, about everything that you are hoping to get out of this. But before you do, you have to communicate with yourself about what you're hoping you're going to get out of this. And you have to have realistic expectations too. A big problem that I see a lot, and it's connected to that concept of one penis policies is this (laughs) idea that, oh, well, I can't wait to have a whole harem of girlfriends for me. Okay, so the reality of it is that that's probably not how that's going to work out <laughs> for you, buddy. Like, that's, that's just not, that's not a realistic way of looking at it. Almost invariably, the person who thinks they are going to have the harder time finding partners has an easier time finding partners. In almost every poly relationship that I've ever seen that has opened up, the person who thought that this was going to be a cakewalk for them struggles. And the person who never thought that they were going to be able to find anybody suddenly has more people banging down their door than they know what to do. <laughs> so you get this massive disconnect that comes from that where the person who thought that they were going to suddenly have this deluge of partners is sitting there with their arms crossed while their partner's out on dates with all these other people. And they're like, well, screw this. How would I end up in this boat? Forget all of that. I don't want that. I'm not getting what I want, so I'm going to take away what they have too. Let's just go back to the way it was. It was better for me then. And it's a very petty and spiteful way of looking at it. And of course, that's going to be most people's first instincts. 
it's okay for that to be your first instinct, but you need to move past it in the same way that you would be like, man, I just want to punch that guy in the face and then you don't do it. You can say, man, I just want to close that relationship back up and then don't do it. Yeah. No, that's no, that's really, really good advice. And, uh, you know, thinking through things before you do them is definitely a good piece of advice. Right. And you have to understand what the consequences might be. If you punch a stranger in the face, you know what the consequences are going to be. You have a pretty good sense of that. People don't think about what the consequences are to closing a relationship once it's been open because this isn't a common part of society. But take a moment, think about it, do some research, talk to people, figure out what those consequences are going to look like, and then say to yourself, hmm, maybe this isn't such a good idea after all. Oh, that's a very good point, and that is definitely good parting advice for people who are thinking about exploring open relationships, monogamous relationships, any kind of consensually non-monogamous relationship. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to actually talk to us about this today. And uh, I just, how can people reach out to you after this um, to really, you know, to get more insight into uh, their own relationships and other forms of consensual non-monogamy? Well, if you want to reach me directly, you can look either on Facebook under Nolan Mollis LPC or at nolanmollis.com. If you're interested in professional relationship coaching services, you can look for infiniteheartcoaching.com, which is actually not active yet, but will be soon, or find us on Facebook at Infinite Heart Coaching. If you are interested in the presentations that I do, you can look for Deconstructing Polyamory on Facebook under at Deconstructing Poly or at Deconstructing Polyamory on Instagram. Because my co-presenter and collaborator, Jerry Lynn Astor Herbert, loves posting things on Instagram. So there's <laughs> lots of that. If you want to see me in person, the only thing that I have scheduled right now is the aforementioned uh, polyunsaturated presentation, which is going to be premiering at the Denver, Colorado meetup on September 28th, along with Jessica Fern. We are submitting it to a few conferences at the end of this year, beginning of next year. So keep an eye on any of those social media outlets if you want to see where I'll be next. Awesome. Oh, wow. I'd love to check that out. That sounds very fun. Polyunsaturated. Very, very nice. Good name. Good name. <laughs> well, thank you very much for all of this. I really appreciate it. And thank, thank you for having me. Uh, and thank you to everyone for listening. Tune in on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Sexy Lifestyle Network for my next show. As of August 6, 2019, I will be moving on to the Variety Network, where you can catch me at 5 p.m. Pacific on Tuesdays. But don't worry, you can always download my podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. And don't forget, you can learn more about sex, health, and relationships as you seek yourself, discover together, and create moments that sdc.com. Thanks for joining me, Lexi Silver. Until next time, stay lectual, people. Bye. We appreciate you joining us on Seek, Discover, Create, presented by sdc.com. Please join your host, Lexi Silver, on another erotic journey next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Until then, may you enjoy exploring your sexuality.